If you're new here, if this is your first Sunday, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been going through the Psalms at the beginning of this year, and we've been calling it Reconnecting with God um, as kind of our theme together. Um, It's our attempt as a congregation to come back into intimacy with God, especially for those of you, as Kim and Sherrod, have been far away from the Lord. Um, The Psalms are, it's this book of songs um, right in the middle of your Bible, if you're not familiar, and um, this, this book of poetry and songs, it's, it's a collection of beautiful um, songs in the middle of your Bible, but they're often misunderstood. And one of the reasons they're misunderstood is because they often bring together ideas that don't really seem like they naturally go together. And today we're going to explore one of those in Psalm 25. Uh, the thing that doesn't seem to kind of fit well together is this idea in verse 14 of this psalm, which is that those of you who really want to be intimate with the Lord and reconnect with God, it's really important, he says, that if you want to be intimate with the Lord, that you have to fear the Lord, Right? And those two ideas don't really seem to go well together, right? Fear seems to create distance, right, in our lives. But in our passage today, that David's going to actually say, actually, a key to a secret friendship with God is the fear of the Lord. And then he's going to say, if you have this secret friendship with the Lord, you actually will enter into a life of no regret, of no regret. And that that's... Probably the worst thing I can imagine is to come to the end of my life and to regret the way that I've lived it, right? Is there anything worse than that, right? To come to the end of your life and realize that you've wasted it. And David here will say, well, if you enter into friendship with God, a secret friendship with God, then you'll actually live a life that you'll never regret, never regret. Let's go to Psalm 25. Let's read it together. This is the first 14 verses. There's a lot in here, but I encourage you um, to really receive it. And then verse 14, I think, is our, is our key verse here. So Psalm 25, verse 1, it goes like this. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They will be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. And here's our key verse. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. This is the word of the Lord. There are three things that I want to share with you from this. Is Number one, the need for instruction. 
And secondly, he talks about the secret of friendship with God. And then the third is a life of no regrets, a life of no regrets. And I have to, in the first service, I totally forgot to preach the last part of the sermon. And I just sat down and I came back up to finish the sermon. And so I hope I remember, I was just so moved in the second point that I just left. But uh, today... Uh, I really want to make sure for the second service you get the whole sermon. Um, he, he tells us that instruction is so important, and um, following those instructions is actually really key to becoming God's friend. And then finally, when we become God's friend, uh, we actually find out that we can actually have a life of no regrets. I think that's all, what we all want, right? And so let's bow our heads and ask the Lord for help in this. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for Keeman's testimony. We thank you for your steadfast love with our brother. That even when, when he, in some moments of his life, was treacherous before you, that you pursued him and that you were his friend. Father, today as we look at your word, teach us now how to reconnect with you. And I pray that you would push into our hearts the truths that are hard to receive because we know that in you and in relationship with you, we will finally find a life of no regrets and of well-being and of wholeness. So give that to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the first part is instruction. And I said that in this series on the Psalms that we're going to learn how to read poetry together, learn how to read biblical poetry together, because it's not easy for everyone. And some of us have not learned how to read biblical poetry together. And one of the things I want to show you about this particular Psalm is that it's a special kind of poem called an acrostic poem. And an acrostic poem just means this. It's just a poem that every line of the poem starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And just goes through. The most famous one is probably Psalm 119. Some of you might know. And the topic is the Word of God. And it goes through one letter of every Hebrew. Uh, it goes through every Hebrew letter. And in, in it, um, it describes the Word of God. That's what an acrostic is. It's like a, it's a teaching device. Okay? It's meant to help us to learn and to remember. And uh, we have teaching devices like rhyming we use, like stop, drop, and roll. Right, just to help you to remember these kinds of things. But the, the specialty of the acrostic is that it gives you a comprehensive view of a topic. The reason it goes through every letter is that it's trying to give you all these different angles and to show you the comprehensive uh, kind of breadth of uh, a topic. And today's topic, in this acrostic poem, if you see on the top of your chapter, it might say the summary headline, Teach Me Your Ways right, in your Bibles. And so that's kind of the, the topic here is teach me your ways. So it's actually uh, the, on the topic of instruction using an instructional device. So it's really about learning from God, learning from God. And he introduces God here in verse 8 and 9 as the good teacher. And so let's read verse 8 and 9 again. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. And so he says, God is our good teacher. God is our good teacher and he's teaching us how to live. And David cries out to him, teach me your paths, O Lord. Teach me how to do this. Teach me how to live. And the reason that he's asking God for instruction is not because he just wants to learn more. Or maybe it's his New Year's resolution or something like that. But he's asking him because so much is broken in his life. You see, this is different from Psalm 13 from last week, if you were here last week. Psalm 13, the reason he's calling out for God is that he's in this really acute trial. 
It's a really severe thing that he's dealing with for a long period of time, and he's been crying out to God for help, and this thing is not resolved. And so he keeps asking God, Lord, why don't you rescue me from this thing? This psalm is different, that it's not one particular thing that's going wrong for a long time, but David's looking at his life, and it seems like so many things are messed up. So many things are wrong, and I don't know if you've ever reached this point in a season of your life, but like it just seems like so many things are broken at the same time, and you look up to God and you're like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? What? There must be something like fundamentally I'm doing wrong with my life that it's so many things are broken. You see, he looks up to God and, and he says, God, what am I doing wrong? Because so much brokenness is in my life, right? Am I like doing all of faith wrong? Am I doing all of my marriage wrong? Am I doing family? Like something fundamentally I'm doing is creating all of these problems. Why is there so much repeated hardship? Why is there so much repeated hardship? And he looks up to God and he says, God, teach me. Teach me. You see, he doesn't ask for rescue, but he asks for instruction because there must be something he's doing wrong that so many things are going wrong. And sometimes God will bring your attention to things like this in your life by bringing you to several dead ends to try to get your attention and and to teach you. It's not just that you need rescue from one particular thing that you're doing wrong, but you're fundamentally approaching your life incorrectly. And he wants to teach you because he's the good teacher. He instructs sinners, right, in his way. And so David looks up and he asks for help. And he says, the only way I'm going to be able to fix this is not if you rescue me from one thing in my life, but you have to teach me how to live my life. But I want to warn you about one thing on the way to getting that instruction. Because from all of the suffering and getting instruction, there's like this ditch in the middle that you could fall into before you get that instruction. And the ditch that you could fall into when so much is going wrong in your life is self-pity. Self-pity is really destructive. And self-pity can keep us from the instruction that's life-giving. You know, when so many things go wrong in your life at the same time, you could feel really sorry for yourself. But that self-pity, if you let it mature, can keep you from actually receiving the instruction that you need to help fix your life. John Piper, he talks about this a little bit, and this is the way that he puts it. He sees uh, self-pity as being really destructive, and let me just read you this quote from him. He says this, Self-pity is a dangerous, deceitful, heart-hardening sin. It's a spiritual deadener, choking faith, draining hope, killing joy, smothering love, fueling anger, and robbing any desire to serve others. It is a feeder sin. I really like that description because listen to this. It's a feeder sin encouraging us to comfort our poor selves with all manner of sinful indulgence like gossip, slander, gluttony, substance abuse, pornography, and binge entertainment, just to name a few. He says, when we feel self-pity, we almost give ourselves permission to sin in all these different ways just to cope. You know, so self-pity is really dangerous. And I think another really dangerous part about self-pity, if we fall in that ditch, is that it relieves us of our ownership in our mistakes. We justify ourselves. Right? And we give up ownership of our mistakes and our sins. And when you do that, 
you will never repent. You'll never repent. And it cuts you off from the instruction of the Lord. And so, my brothers and my sisters, I don't know if any of you are in this season where you feel like fundamentally something is broken because so many things are going wrong. I just want to ask you and warn you, please be careful of self-pity because it will keep you from life. Don't fall into that ditch because God, remember we said last week, God has not accursed you. You are beloved. You are his child. And so he has not accursed you. So do not fall into self-pity. David doesn't fall into self-pity. Even though so much is broken about his life, he doesn't know what to do. Instead of falling into the ditch of self-pity, he looks up to God and he says, Lord, you got to teach me. You got to teach me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me because I am your child. And so he's asking God here for instruction. But the big question of the sermon and of this text is, but are you going to be a good student? If the Lord teaches you, are you going to be a good and willing servant? Because if you are, there is this great friendship of God that will help heal you. If you're not a good student, you won't have access to that. Let's read verse 4 and 5. This is what David says. He says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You see, the way that David asks to be taught by the Lord is he doesn't just ask for more information, right? But he's talking about a way of walking and obeying and living differently that's actually going to fix the things that are broken. You see, he uses words like, make me know your ways, teach me your paths, right? These are all action things, right? He doesn't say, Lord, help me to retain information, right? But he says, help me to live differently because David knows that obedience is so key to what he needs. And he knows that obedience is so key to reconnecting with God and in intimacy here. You see, God is not someone that you can be intimate with and continue to disobey. Our continual disobedience with God actually creates distance between us. And did you know that for some of you, the reason that you feel far from God is because you just have been wantonly disobeying him. That's why you feel far from him. Let me try to illustrate this to you. I got this from one other pastor. He said, imagine if you tell your kid, go clean your room because it's a mess. Clean your room and I especially want you to pick up your clothes. Go, clean your room. And then after a couple of hours, your kid comes back and you say, so did you clean your room? And your kid says, no but I memorized what you said. I memorized what you said. I put it in my heart, right? You're like, what? <laughs> you did what? I memorized what you said. I can even regurgitate it back to you. I said, you said, your room is a mess. Go clean your room and especially pick up your clothes. Amen. <laughs> right? Mom 13, verse 20, right? And you go, what <laughs> are you talking about, Right? I told you to clean your room. I didn't tell you to I didn't tell you to regurgitate it back to me, right? And what happens in that moment between you and your child? You, you're wondering how did he misunderstand me so badly? How did we miss each other so much? He really doesn't get me, right? And there's a distance that's created by the disobedience. It doesn't matter if he memorized it. It doesn't matter if he did Bible studies about it, right? A wanton disobedience 
It creates distance between us and God. And I think, brothers and sisters, this week I really felt God's grief about that. I really felt his grief of just how much we take him for granted and how misunderstood God must feel when he has told us so many things over the years. And we keep coming back to him and we say, we want to be close to you, Lord. You know, we want a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. And yet, we don't obey what he's already said to us. I don't know why, but I got this feeling from God like that he would say, I do keep revealing myself to you. But they keep calling it, I'm, re- I'm revealing my desires to you, but you keep calling it rules. And they say, because Christianity is not about rules, they don't need to follow my rules. I'm showing you my heart. And then you call it rules, and then you disobey. Because you say that faith is not about obedience to rules. I don't know, I just felt his grief, how misunderstood he must feel. That the things that he reveals to us, that's what we do with it. You know, and let me just be clear. Brothers and sisters, your salvation is not by obedience. Okay? Your salvation is 100% by the obedience of Christ. And we benefit from his obedience. That's why we say we are saved by grace. Our salvation is 100% by grace because Jesus is the one who obeyed on our behalf. Our salvation is by grace. But I want to tell you, the truth is that even though your salvation is by grace, you will never have intimacy with your Savior without obedience. You just won't. You won't have intimacy with him if you disregard him. You see, this understanding is all brought together in verse 14, and David uses this phrase called the fear of the Lord. Let's read verse 14 together. This is what he says. The friendship, and if you have your Bible with you, you'll see a little asterisk in your Bible there, right? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenants. The word friendship there is an asterisk because it's a Hebrew word that is hard to translate to you in the English because you'll misunderstand it. Because the Hebrew word there is the word secret. The word secret. And, um, you know, I preached this, and after the first sermon, someone came up to me, and, and they said, like, why should our relationship with God be secret? Shouldn't we evangelize and tell people about God? Yes, it's not. The word secret here is not talking about exclusivity. It's not talking about keeping your relationship with God secret, but the word secret here, it means this intimate secret friendship that you have with God. You see, he's saying a depth of relationship with God, a secret friendship with God is only for those who fear him. And when he says secret, it means the kind of friendship that you have with your friend where something is happening in front of you and you immediately know what the other friend is thinking because you have intimacy. And you know what that person is thinking, and you laugh together. And it's not an inside joke, but you laugh because you just get each other in that moment. The secret friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Now, like I said, those are two ideas that we wouldn't normally put together, but it's in here, the word of God. 
And he's saying this, the intimacy and the closeness that you really want with me. You say, you, you guys have this whole sermon series, Reconnecting with God. Look, if you really want that, it's reserved for people who fear me. It's for people who walk in obedience. And this is what he means by that. Um, to fear God, yes, in one sense, it means that we should fear him. Because he's not like you. He's not like me. He is God Almighty. So in a sense, we should fear him. But what it's talking about here is really about honoring God, right? Let me say it like this. Pretend you have a friend. His name is Johnny, right? And Johnny, because you're in a close relationship, an intimate friendship with him, you know that when Johnny was eight years old, that he lost his sister to drowning, And when he was eight years old, he saw his baby sister drown in a lake. And he blames himself ever since because he didn't help his sister. But he was eight years old and he didn't know what to do. He was frozen. But ever since then, he can't go swimming. He can't go to a lake. He can't go to the beach. And yet, you and your friends are planning a vacation and the rest of your friends say, hey, let's go to the beach this summer because it's going to be so nice. I got a place. And as soon as he says it, you look over to Johnny and you see him cringe. And then you say, you know, let's not go to the beach. Let's do something else. I don't think Johnny would like to go to the beach. I wouldn't want to go to the beach. Let's not do it. Right? Because you know his heart. You have a secret, intimate relationship with Johnny. You have a secret friendship, as it says here, with Johnny. So you know. But your other friends don't know. And they say, why, why do you always want to do what Johnny does? Are you like scared of Johnny or something? Are you afraid of him or something that he would disapprove? You're like, I'm not scared of Johnny, but I know him. And I'm honoring him in this way. The secret friendship with the Lord is for those who fear him. You see, that's how those two things fit together. And God says that if you don't honor me, but you keep saying that you want to be close to me. How is that going to work? You see, we keep going back to him and asking him for more of himself. But brothers and sisters, unless we begin to move forward in obedience to the things that he's told you, some of you have been Christians for a really long time, and you've piled up things that he's said to you. How many sermons have you heard in your lifetime? Right? And, and, and you have... He has revealed his heart to you over time. And we keep coming back to him saying, Lord, I want more of you. Reveal yourself to me. He says, but I have been. I have been. And you keep saying you want to be close to me, but the secret friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, who honor him, who actually hear him. My brothers and sisters, I know you want to reconnect with the Lord, but this is a very important ingredient of it. Obedience, it must be a part of it, right? Or we misunderstand our God. And so let me make an application for you, okay, this week. Don't come back next Sunday until, don't come back next Sunday without having taken a step in the direction of obedience, Don't come back next Sunday and and sit here again waiting for more revelation given to you, right? Until you've taken a step in the direction of obedience. 
He wants to connect with you, but we can't keep doing this. You can't keep storing up more information from God and disregarding it. And some of you know exactly what your thing is. You know what he's been putting it on your, on your heart. And you know you need to take a step in that direction. I want to tell you that this week you must take a step in that direction. Whether it's in regards to your family or your marriage or your job or the way that you're speaking to people or someone that you need to forgive. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Don't just come back next Sunday. Take a step. Because I know you want intimacy with the Lord, but this is key. It's reserved for those who fear the Lord. Now I want to give you good news. If you go to verse 8 again, it says this. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He delights to instruct people who this whole time have not been listening to him. But if you change your heart this week, he delights to instruct you. Right? He delights to instruct you. That's how gracious he is. And so I want to do this. I want to just bow our heads and just take a moment and pray before we finish off the sermon. And I just want to ask you, just before we, I keep giving you more, let's just go to God and say, Lord, I know you want me to obey. Help me to obey. Help me to take a step in the direction of faith. Let's take a moment and pray and ask for his help so that this week we would not be like this. You don't want to be like this. And so let's come to him and say, Lord, I do want to take a step in the direction of obedience. Before I come back and ask for more sermon, more word, more praise, Father, I submit my heart to you to take a step in this direction. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, you told us that the secret friendship with you, um, it will be made real when we start to walk with you, to honor you and to fear you. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help them to take a step in that direction. And I pray, Lord, be merciful to them. I know there's probably a lot of things we need to hear from you, but Father, you say you remember that we are dust. Be merciful to them. I pray that you would just give them one thing this week or maybe two things this week, but help them so that it's doable, that they can walk. And I pray you would give them so much grace. Do not overwhelm your children, my Lord, but I pray that you would give them one thing that they can walk in and obey and in doing so to become more intimate with you and to enter into a secret friendship with you. So help them, Lord, to take a step before we come back next Sunday. And sit at your feet again. I pray help them this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the first service I did that and then I just walked away. <laughs> and I totally forgot that we have a little bit more at the end here. Um, but the last thing I want to say is that when you look at this psalm, uh, there's one more thing. And that one more thing is that there's this really interesting theme where David says, 
Um, if I enter into this secret friendship with you and I walk in obedience, then I will not be put to shame. I will not be put to shame. Can you read with me verse 3 and 13? Verse uh, 3 goes like this. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. 13 says, my soul shall abide in well-being and his offering shall inherit the land. You know, the psalm talks about being not ashamed. And if you go, actually go to the next psalm, he keeps talking about this, not ashamed, not ashamed. And um, James M Montgomery Boyce, I'm not going to read you the quote, but he says essentially that, you know, um, he's not talking about being embarrassed. I mean, there's something, there, there is an element of, he's saying, I'm, you're not going to embarrass me in my life. But fundamentally what he's saying is that if we follow the Lord and we walk in obedience and friendship with God, that at the end of days, we will look back and we're not going to have any regrets. We're not going to have any regrets. And I think that that's such an important thing because I think that we're all trying to figure out how to construct a life with no regrets. And he says that if we enter into a friendship with God and walk in obedience, there's not going to be any regrets. Pastor Andre this week told me that there's a new form of FOMO with young people, and it's called FOBO. FOBO, and I just learned this, and uh, he told me that it's called uh, fear of better options, right? Fear of better options, and the difference, I guess, is that instead of fear of missing out, you're afraid of committing to something because you think that there's something better out there. If you commit to this, then you're missing out. It's, I don't know, it sounds like FOMO to me, but it, it, you're missing out on a better option. Um, but it's this new thing, FOBO, and um, it's paralyzing, right? Because it's, um, you don't know if you're making the right decision. To become a secret friend with God is a big decision. It's a big decision. He will lead you in his way. Teach me your path, so Lord. You're saying, I'm not going to go in my path. It's a big decision. But I love what David says. Those people who decide to be secret friends with the Lord, to follow him, they will have no regrets. They will have no regrets. There are no better options. There are no better options. And I think fundamentally the reason why is because to become friends with Jesus is to become friends with someone who will actually make you who you're supposed to be. And to actually make you who you want to be, even if you don't know who that person is. You see, when he says that we will not be put to shame, what is shame? Shame is when you violate yourself. It's different than guilt. Guilt is when you do something wrong, you know, you, you shouldn't have done that. But shame is when you've acted against your essence. You've become somebody who you're not. That's why you feel like that after the one night stand. Because you know that you've not just done something wrong, but you've violated who you are. You're not cheap like that. You are someone of value. You are beloved by God. And that's why you feel shame. Because you violated who you are. That's what shame is. David says, if we follow the Lord, he will never put us to shame. He will never violate who you are in your essence because he made you, he loves you, he saved you, and he's bringing you into the image of God, the highest value there is. He will never, never violate you, brothers and sisters. Even though following Jesus is, is going to be hard, and at points you will feel the pressure. He says, but the people who do it will never be put to shame. You'll never have regrets. And so I want to leave you with that encouragement. You need to learn from him, especially if you're in a season where everything feels broken. 
Don't distance yourself from God through self-pity. Don't fall into that ditch, but enter into a friendship with him. He's not going to violate you. He will make you more into who you are. But in order to be his friend, you have to have the fear of the Lord. You have to honor him in what he's been telling you to do before you come back for more instruction next Sunday. Let's take steps this week to fear him and to obey him. And I promise you, standing on the authority of God's word, that if you do, not only will you find intimacy with him, but you'll never regret it. Let's pray.